0: I am ready to drop this conversation. I'm ready to share it with you. Are you ready? You ready for some collector-driven content? I got my man, Drake's PC, Drake Magruder, back on the program. This time, we are talking about some hobby topics that I think we think about a lot, but I haven't really heard anyone talk about them. A lot of conversation around buying process. Some good nuggets in here, man. You're going to want to tune in. Make sure you follow all the things that say stacking slabs on it across all the interwebs and internets and all those things. But most importantly, tell a damn friend you are enjoying the stacking slabs podcast. You ready for this one? Are you ready? Let's go. Let's kick into the conversation. What is up? In the spirit of continuing to push out stacking slabs content while I'm out on vacation, I call in some hobby buddies. And that's typically my process. So I am joined today by Drake at Drake's PC. You've known him from other episodes we've we've had. We're going to talk about some different topics. I think I I referenced like being a five tool hobbyist, and that kind of topic in it itself leads a, a, to a conversation of a lot of buckets and a lot of buckets. I think Drake too has made. Drake's always buying, (laughs) but Drake made a a nice purchase that I think the story behind the acquisition, um, would be good for all of us to, to kind of learn and just see how he navigated that. And we'll get into some other stuff, but Drake, welcome back. How's it going?
1: Brett, man. I'm fantastic. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. Um, especially during this busy time as you prep to go on vacation and things like that. Um, you know, as always, I love to be on, love to be on the podcast. It's always, a a weekly listen for me. You've had some phenomenal guests um, here lately, so um, I'm just glad to be back on.
0: No doubt. Yeah, we were chatting for the audience. Uh, Drake has little ones and obviously I have one and it's we were talking about the, the packing and packing for ourselves and packing for the kids and getting the car and all the stuff ready for the vacation and the madness of the buildup to the vacation and then just when you get back from the vacation and it's like, I think we all need vacations, but it's a little stressful at this point. So I'm excited to eventually be at my end destination.
1: Yeah, man. It's always, it's always a struggle just before vacation with all the work going on. And then you get there and you relax. But in the back of your head, you're always thinking about what am I missing or what am I going to come back to? So sometimes you need a vacation
0: from your vacation. 100%. So I, I think like one of the things like broader topics that I, we we can cover off on is just like This idea, and we all know like the market based on so many different factors, economic conditions, and you name it, it was going up for a long time, is has retracted. And so that's caused a little some fear and trepidation with people buying and selling sports cards. And I think we agree that for us as collectors, there's certainly been opportunities to maybe double down and buy more and get cards at. Decent prices, as opposed to you know six to six months to a year ago. Um, So I guess first, just like hitting it on its head before we get into kind of the card you bought. Maybe like share some perspective of like how you're looking for opportunity during this time when cards and sellers of cards might be might have a little more wiggle room when they're trying to get rid of some stuff.
1: Yeah. So what what, what's interesting about that question, and I was sharing this with someone else, is you hear across the broader hobby as a whole that like it's a buyer's market and there's all these grail cards that are coming to market and things like that. And maybe that's true for some other players, but it feels like with a guy like a Peyton Manning, right? I'm still not seeing those grail cards really hit the market. You really have to dig deep to find them buried buried in a collection. You know, there's uh, there's been a couple like Drew Brees cards that I've picked up Where I've been fortunate where someone knows that I collect them um, and they've come to me and said, Hey, I'm I'm looking to move this. Would you be interested before I send it to auction or before, you know, before I offer it to somebody else? And so that's more of what I'm seeing than anything else, versus just me sitting there and, you know, there's some manning grail that hits the market um, that I'm looking for. That's just that's not happening in that aspect. It's probably happening for some other people. And I think that's an interesting discussion point i think to think about it's like well why is it happening for other players um you know where all these collectors are all of a sudden finding these like huge grails but with someone like like a peyton manning for example who we both collect you really have to dig deep and ask the right people and ask the right questions and things like
0: that so i had kevin the captain 37 we kind of talked a little bit about this and we were talking about brady and specifically the 2014 flawless and how. You know, for a year, you never saw this card, and then eventually, like one popped up on PWCC premiere. Um, and I we were just like riffing on this for a minute, and I was just thinking about like, like the availability of these cards going to market. Like, I think like there's not a really like great way to like measure it, but I think like we we feel like we we have a feeling about like how like seeing these grails, especially for in these these PCs or deep in these PCs, and it gives me this like. Perspective of like, okay, the Brady or the Manning, like the collector base within those players is really strong because they are buying the cards, not necessarily because they know they can, you know, 2X it in, you know, a few months, like maybe some of these new active players where there's the build momentum for the season and then kind of be stagnant. So I think like that's just something that I'm thinking a lot about is like, the legacies of, you know, Brady might win another one, who knows, but like the legacy of Manning is pretty much it's cemented and you still see him kind of in the mainstream culture. But I think like that leads me to think about just, it gives me more confidence collecting someone um, there where people don't want to take his cards to market and want to hang on a little longer. So that's just something that I've been thinking about regarding like evaluating not only the player, but like the collector base of those players.
1: Yeah, well, and then I think when you take certain collector bases, it all depends on what the person's wanting to do with their collection. Whereas if you have someone like me, where I want to hold on to everything, and then if something pops up, then maybe I move cards at that point to fund that purchase, right? Is I don't want to just have a lot of cash just saying, well, you know, what if this card pops up, then I've got the cash ready to go. But on the flip side, there's a lot of people who are like that. They want to have the cash, maybe because they're going to the national in a couple weeks, or maybe because they're going to a show or maybe just because they're they're wanting to free up some of that cash they have tied up with someone that's got a cemented legacy say like a Peyton Manning and they want to put that into more prospects where like you said we're going to be starting football season here in a couple of months and they look at it and say well you know I've got this money parked in Peyton Manning and it's a safe investment it's an Apple stock but I'm looking for something where I can take that same amount of money and then maybe double it let's just say within the next couple of months so I think it just depends. On everybody's style and perspective. What's really funny about that, and I was talking to somebody about this yesterday, is a year ago, that was kind of my thought process. I was thinking, man, Josh Allen is going to be a great quarterback. Now would be a great time to buy some cards. This this will be fun to ride that wave. I'm going to sell it in week four when they play the Chiefs. It's a huge game, that sort of thing. But literally, I bought the cards, and as soon as they arrived in my mailbox, I was like, I want to sell these things. I can't have them. It just makes me nervous having You know that that type of prospect and things like that, Um, and and it was one of those things too. Where a year ago I was buying things maybe for different reasons than what you know than what what I've grown to do within the last year.
0: No, I love it. And so you you hit on something about you like to keep your cash in cards. I'm the same way. Like I've spent a lot of my disposable income on cards if I'm if I get income coming in, but a lot of my value of like what I spend on cards is in cards. And so I need to make, if a card does pop up, I need to kind of sit down at, you know, the judgment day table and decide like what cards are going. So I can then go get into a new piece that pops up and it's just this continual process. So maybe like, I want to talk about your pretty significant purchase. Um, I know you get itchy when you see other people with cards that you really want. And we coming off the heels of the Peyton Manning top 10, where a couple of these popped up. A few would have popped up if uh, we had uh, another, uh, if Paul jumped on. Um, but the Peyton Manning 24 karat gold um, from Flair Brilliance, I, I think it's undeniable that this card is, you know, one of Manning's best cards um, rookie year. It is a variation of a variation. There's only 24 scarcity. So, and this is a card you've been after for a while. So maybe like talk a little bit about the card and then the process you went through to obtain it. And then I'll get into like maybe some like moves you're making on the back end to like justify the purchase. So, yeah, she, the floor is yours to talk about it.
1: Yeah. So uh, first learn about the FLIR Brilliance 24K in our manning group, um, maybe a year and a half, or two years ago, potentially um, kind of around that time frame. And as soon as I saw the card, I was like, man, like, I've got to have this card. I've got to find a way. And then I think it was Jordan that picked one up in a private deal. And, you know, I was like, oh man, I wish I would have known about that. Cause I, you know, then I would have gone after that card. And then about that time, um, the Fleur Brilliance gold out of 99, which I know you have a copy as well, too. Uh, it's really, really nice card, stuff like that, that came to auction. And I was like, okay, well, I can't get the out of twenty four. I can at least get the ninety nine. It's still gold. You know that'll kind of tide me over until the twenty four karat pops up. And so I got that. And like all great collectors, we're just sitting there scouring eBay, PWCC, Golden, all the all the auction sites, Instagram, things like. And there's just none of these things that are coming available. And I'm just going, okay, well maybe, uh, you know this. This just isn't going to happen, you know, at some point, um, but still kind of holding out a little a little bit of hope. In the meantime, I did get a, a, a wax box of uh, 98 FLIR brilliance thinking like, oh, well, maybe I'll, I'll pull one, right? <laughs> <laughs> um, that didn't happen, but I did get a Brett Favre gold out of 99 that I did send off to PSA. So that should be back within the next month. So I'm excited to see what that gets Um so yeah, it's a, that's a nice great
0: point. pull. That's a great pull oh, aside. No. That's a hell of a pull from the oh, hobby box.
1: Oh, for sure. Absolutely. And so fast forward a little bit, we're we're on vacation and I'm at the beach and uh, somebody in our manning group, again, I think it was Jordan sends out a, a Facebook post where somebody has a raw 24K for sale on Facebook in one of the Facebook groups. Um, it's called like deal or no deal format where someone lists a card the people in the comments make the replies and then, you know, the person either accepts or they decline the offer. And so I thought I had the high offer until the seller comes in and tells me, well, there's a guy who's offered a little bit more. It's a private deal. Um, You know, the seller doesn't want to be disclosed. Would you like to beat that offer? And he told me what it was. And I was just like, "Eh, I don't really think I want to do that. Right. And so come to find out it's a spur fan spur fan at tech on Instagram is who got the card. So I was excited for him because I know he's a big, like big nineties collector. He actually has a nineties Peyton Manning and essential credentials future that I would love to have. That's my number one grail card. Um, so yeah, so if he's listening, um, not that he doesn't already know that (laughs) because I send him messages almost weekly, like, Hey, have you changed your mind, change your mind about that same time, you know, Nick, the Wharf sports cards had said previously that he was going to put his consignment business on hold for a little while and he was taking a new position. Um, but he would kind of let us know about that at a later, at a later point. Well, he posted on his Instagram story um, something about like, hey, you know, I've joined PWCC as a sales rep. If there's anything you're looking for, let me know. And maybe I can check it out in the vault and see, see if they have a card. Maybe it's not on their listing or things like that. Well, I missed it initially. And so two days later, I think he was doing another story or something or posted on his page and somehow I saw it. And uh, so I sent him a message, and I said, "Hey, like here's my short list, right? Like here's what I'm looking for." And he responds back, and he's and he says, "Drake, there's uh, there's actually three Manning Brilliance 24 karat gold sitting in the sitting in the vault right now. Would you like me to reach out and ask, you know, the owners if they would be interested in moving it?" Of course, absolutely, right? So the first two came back and were like, "Absolutely not." (laughs) And then the third guy came back and said, "Well, you know." That wasn't really one I know I was really wanting to move, but I am wanting to move some manning because evidently he does have a lot of like duplicate mannings, and so he's realizing he doesn't need like you know five tops chrome refractors or whatever. He said he was must be must
0: be nice. Yeah, no,
1: for sure, for sure. (laughs) And so he said he was open to moving the card, and this is where I guess I need to get better from a negotiating standpoint is when he told me the price. You know, instead of me being like. Well, I think that's a good price. Uh, let me think about it and get back to you. I was immediately like, "Yes, tell him yes. Just tell him how I can do it." You know, <laughs> there was no no negotiating involved. You know, and it was one of those things where you know um, with a card like that, it's the seller like, yeah, it's not a one on one, but it's almost a name your price type of card, right?
0: But you you don't want you probably didn't want to like compromise your opportunity at that card and give them an insulting offer where then all of a sudden. The seller says, "I'm I'm not selling this now." You know, exactly. I'm guessing that's what you're thinking. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, and it's it's one of those things with so few public sales, right? I think like the last public sale was two years ago. You know, and so it's tough to say. You know, when those cards exchange hands in private deals, you know what's what's it really worth? You know, I think there was a PSA eight that sold for for twenty four k, maybe like a year ago or something like that. And and I that wasn't even a a. A public sale, we just knew who the seller and who the buyer was. And he actually shared, you know, kind of what that was. So, anyway, so it's kind of a tough card to price. We talk on that. And then I'm kind of working with Nick going, you know, I've never really done a big private deal before. What are the options? And so he's telling me all the options that they have, um, which is really great. You know, if if you have cards in the vault, you can leverage those. Right. Um, And so then PWCC would give you a cash advance. Um They have some things where you can take out a loan if you want to. you got to pay it off in like three months. Um and so I'm sitting there and I'm trying to figure out, you know what 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 what's the best route to go? And I'm thinking, well, okay, well, maybe I can sell some cards to help raise the money. Well, as we all know, hitting buy it now is a lot easier than selling a card. Like selling a card is tough, you know, in some cases. So I start thinking, well, what was interesting is about that time, my financial advisor, Calls me and he said, "Hey Drake, you know, um, with with some of your stocks and your equities and things like that, he said we're we're planning to liquidate some right now with the way the markets are kind of, in, you know, just the way that they're they're going, and we're just going to convert it to cash and just have it have it sitting there." And I said, "Well, it's interesting you called me because one of the things I have is called it's called a loan management account, and basically what it is is the bank will basically you open it up and they'll they would wire that money to PWCC. And then basically, you just pay it off. The interest rates like 5% a year or something like that. So, if it took you a year to pay it off, you end up on the sales price, you would end up paying like $700 in interest. So, he comes back and says, So, he, so here's what we're going to do. You have something that you've identified. He knows I collect cards, and he's like, This is a grail card. I know it's awesome. You've got to have it we're, we're going to make these sales. We're going to, we're going to open up this loan. The money's going to be wired immediately. And then you're going to pay it off as soon as these transactions clear with the markets. Right. And like right there in the stock market. So we did that immediately, wired them the money, kind of an interesting story about that, that I'll share in just a second. And then what's nice is we, we did those transactions. I was able to pay off the loan in like two days. So didn't accumulate much, you know, it's like, Three dollars in interest or something like that, and so then I was able to get the card. But what was interesting about the wiring thing is I've never wired money before, especially that that larger transaction. PWCC sent me an email, um, and hopefully, if they listen to this, they don't take offense to this. But they sent me an email and said, "Hey, here's where you wire the money to," and so that's where I had them wire the money. Well, then the next day they came back and asked me, like, "Hey, where's the like where's the money?" And I'm like, "Well, I'm talking to my bank. My bank says it's cleared." Not sure where this is, so then I look on the email, and then I also look on the invoice that they send me, and the wire account numbers were two different things, and so mm. I'm immediately like sweating in my house and going, oh, oh, "Oh my god, you know this is all screwed up. Where's my money at?" I know, I know. I'm like, "Where's the money at?" So anyway, so long story short, it was still their account, and so they just had to move it from one thing, one thing to the other. It was just a small mistake. It was no big deal, that whole sort of thing. And then they shipped me the card next day, and I got it on Friday. Um, and man, it's, it's, it's just a beautiful card. I actually, my wife makes fun of me because I take it out like every single day, you know, and I just want to look at it and stare at it. And she's like, well, I wish you looked at me the same way you look at that card. <laughs> so anyways, it was um, it, it's, it's a great story. I'm so thankful for Nick for kind of diving in and looking for that stuff, you know, and I think that's, that's what they're that's, you know, in essence, that's what they're paid to do. Um, you know, so for Nick, for for the other sales reps, things like that, if you know, if you're out there listening and you're looking for a specific card and you haven't seen it pop up in a, you know, the fixed price listing or something like that, like don't hesitate to reach out and say, hey, here's what I'm looking for. And they're certainly glad to
0: help. That's what they're there for. So I'm so glad you shared so many details there because I think this is such an interesting topic. And I think at like the highest level, we as collectors view what we can afford from the perspective of like, what is the cash that is currently in my account that if a card became available and then we get to that next level of, okay, the cash in my account and then the cards that I have and the moves that I make. But like, we never really, I don't know, like I've never really thought about just like my, my net worth and all of the income that I have and investments I've made and moves that I can make in order to, if the card of my dreams came up, like talk to my financial advisor and make that happen. I guess like the the scenario that you just described is, it probably happens all the time. I don't think it's get discussed enough, um, is somewhat straightforward, but it's a little complicated, just all the little moves you made to navigate that. Um, I guess what what advice would you have for anyone else out there if they're, if a similar scenario happened where their grail card appeared, but like the is like the sticker shock of man, like I'd love this, but I'm not sure that like I can do this right now. Like what sort of advice would you have for anyone out there in that situation?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think you just have to look at all your options that you have, you know, like so So one of the first things I did is I looked at, OK, here's the amount of money that it is. What would I have to sell to raise that that much money? and i'm pulling out these cards and like we talked about previously i'm looking at this card and so like for example i'm not saying this card is for sale but i did look at it and i knew someone was a potential buyer of manning's uh, 1998 platinum medallion and i've got that in a psa 10 and i thought well this might be one that i might want to move you know and that would cover at, at least half of the cost of the card but then the more I looked at it, I'm like, man, you know, this this card. If I get rid of this, I don't know that I can replace this because if you go out and did an eBay search for Peyton Manning platinum medallion at a PSA ten right now, it's either not out there or it's insanely priced, right? And so, so then I start going, well, okay, well, what's my next move? And so, 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 so really, I guess my pieces of advice without going too far down the rabbit hole is like, look at your collection first. And think, okay, if I had to move some cards to come up with whatever that number is, like, could I do that with the cards that I have? So look at your equity that you have in cards and see, you know, you know what cards are easily replaceable. So, like, if you have a card that's, say, it's numbered out of five ninety nine, well, maybe it's a PSA ten, which is rare by grade, but it's not a rare card in and of itself. So maybe that's a card that you look at moving. So that's kind of the way that I like to operate: is look at how easily the card maybe don't just think about how easy the grade but how easy the card is to replace that's the first thing and then the next thing is, is to look at your different options right um i'm certainly wouldn't tell people to go like run up a huge credit card bill or something like that but if you have to put something on credit that at least gives you a month or so to then identify what cards you want to move and then you pay off that credit card bill like don't leave things hanging out gathering a bunch of interest things like that but it does at least buy you a little bit of time versus just Sending that cash over right then and there. And then the third thing is, and that's kind of what I did, is just look at what your other options are. You know, most people work in some kind of a corporate America. You know, you've got a 401k, um, you've got different things that you have, you know, money in, things like that. Like maybe it's not cards, maybe it's something you have and, you know, you want to sell or, or, you know, just, just kind of like what I did with stocks and things of that nature. You look at that and there's options within that where you can take loans against your assets right, um, that you have, and then you pay those things off. Fortunately, like I was in a situation where we needed to sell some stocks and some equities and convert them to cash. And that was just a quick and easy transaction. Now, Now, I'm going back in and I'm saying, okay, I don't have to replenish that money immediately. That gives me more time to figure out what exactly do I want to sell to kind of cover the cost of that because, you know, unfortunately I'm not one where I can just drop that amount of money and just be like, okay, poof, it's gone. (laughs) You have to replenish it somehow. So I think that's, that's probably the three things that that I would think of. And then, and then really the last thing is, you know, if you, if you have cards stored in a vault or whatever, look at whatever options that company has there um, as well too, because a lot of times, you know, based on the value of the cards that you have in there, they can advance you on some purchases or you could immediately, you know, send some of those cards to auction, right? And then you've got that money right there, um, you know, within the auction house to make the purchase on that card.
0: A lot of information there, but I think it's really good information and covering grounds based on you just being through the process that some of us might not know about or are thinking about. So thanks for covering off on that. I want to talk about two different things before we get out of here. One, I've been thinking a lot about just like, the areas of focus that I think are the most important in order to like be a collector. And during this time. And so I talked about being kind of being a five tool hobbyist um, and just wanted to get your take on it. So the, the, the way I described it was like having being an explorer or being just curious and how helpful that can be Um, being a collector and having the collector mindset, maybe not leaning in completely, but, knowing when to sell when there's a good time. And especially if it's a card that you're not married to being a buyer, having an eye for value. And then finally just like connecting and building relationships. And as I've thought about my experience and like zooming out, those are the five areas that I'm always thinking about in order to continue my evolution in the hobby. So wanted to pitch that your way, thinking about those, like what's your take on it? Like, are those things that you're thinking about just in your operating? Is there anything additionally you'd like to add? Just want to kind of hear you, your perspective, because I know you're you're uh, more of a collector than anything else.
1: Oh, for sure. I mean, I think that's the process you talked about. And as you talked about on the episode of Wednesday's Stacking Slabs podcast, that, that's really the way that I operate. I mean, I do think the five tools are what I use each and every day. You know, you talked about from a, like an exploration standpoint. You know, there's always new cards you learn about all the time. And you think someone like a Peyton Manning, you know, he's got almost 18 years worth of playing years cards. And so when you think you know everything, something new comes along. Right. Um, You know, just just as an example, the the 2014 uh, select Prism Green popped up and and I had no idea that that one was out of five right? And so you learn something new every day as the old saying goes. And so it's always neat just to dive in and learn kind of different sets and things like that. And then the other thing too is it's also fun sometimes to pick up new little like side PCs, you know? Um, And so it's fun to explore that. And then you pick up, you know, someone new, like maybe they played where you went to college or something like that. So there's a lot of uh, former Razorbacks since I'm an Arkansas guy that I've kind of started to pick up on, you know, like, say like a Darren McFadden or a Joe Johnson or somebody like that, um, you know, that had had great careers. Maybe they're not a Hall of Famer. Maybe they don't get a lot of quote, hobby love, but it's fun to kind of explore those. And then, you know, from a collecting standpoint, um, if you saw my my cases and cases and cards and my things behind me, you know that I have no problem holding cards. <laughs> In some cases, I probably just hold too much. If you ask my wife, uh, she would she'd be like, so so what's your plan with all these, you know? And so it's just for me, like, I just love the collecting aspect of it. And, you know, when I'm talking to people trying like to discuss a deal, a lot of times, you know, I'll tell them, I'll be like, Hey, you know, I'm trying to make this transaction. Like some people, I think they get too scared to sell cards sometimes because they're like, Oh, well, if I sell it to Drake, then he's going to, you know, turn around and sell it for 50% more than he paid for me. And I'm like, I'm not that guy. Like maybe some people are, but I'm just trying to like, build my collection and like you've got a card that I want and so I'm trying to trying to do that. You know, when you mentioned like selling knowing when to get out, I'm probably the worst at that. Um, because I look at some of the cards I have now and I'm like, man, i you know that LeBron James tops chrome rookie card that I had just kind of sitting around that I you know I could have sold that for like four times what it's worth right now. And it's still just sitting over there. But as I mentioned previously, I think as far as knowing when to get out, it's not so much selling because you don't like the card. It's selling because you want another card to replace it and the card you're wanting to replace it is more rare and scarce than the card that you have. So like I mentioned before, you have a card that's out of 599, you have a card, you know, that becomes available that's out of 5 or out of 10. Obviously, it's going to be harder to find the out of 5 or out of 10 that you want. So maybe you go sell your out of 599, buy the card that's out of 5 or out of 10. And then at some point, if you decide you want that out of 599 again, then you go and replace it with that card. You know, when you, we talk about from a buying standpoint and eye for value, we'll always compare Peyton Manning prices to Tom Brady prices. That's just, that's just the way it is. And I'm sure we'll talk more about comparing Peyton Manning to prospect prices. But, you know, when you look at cards of Tom Brady and they're selling for, you know, let's just take the 2014 flawless, as you mentioned before. Right, some of those cards are you know five six figure cards, and then you go look at the same card, say someone like Peyton Manning, and you know you can get the same same card same numbering for low four figures. That to me just seems like a huge buy. When in you know most people's eyes, Peyton Manning is you know if he's not number two, he's number three, Um, and that to me just you know when you see that ten to twelve x difference in price between players who you know let's be honest tom brady's the goat but he also had some phenomenal teams phenomenal defenses and things like that at the end of the day you know peyton manning as we've discussed and as we know he really changed the game of football so i don't think they're two vastly different players just different circumstances that allowed them to have more success so before people come jumping down my dms it's for all the that brady kind of pitchforks are coming yeah exactly <laughs> I'm not saying that Peyton Manning is the GOAT, Tom Brady's number two, anything like that. Tom Brady is the best quarterback who's ever played football. But for that to be for there to be that wide of a gap between those two guys, I just, you know, I just really don't think that that is that that the price, the price difference for what it is 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 justified. And then finally the management of relationships. That to me has been the biggest thing that's that's I've grown in over the last year, is just all the connections that I made on social media. And things like that, where, um, as I mentioned before, if somebody's wanting to move a card, if it's Peyton Manning, if it's Drew Brees, if it's wrestling, they come to you first and they say, hey, you know, would you be interested in this before I offer it to somebody else? And then kind of it's on the flip side, right? You know, if you know somebody's looking for something, right? So uh, Shane Norton, the sports card, nobody, you know, he's a big Bret Hart collector. And he talked about on his podcast about how, you know, there was the Bret Hart finest red refractor that came that came available, somebody asked if I wanted it. And I said, well, you should go talk to Shane. Right. And I think that just means a lot when someone comes to you and they, you know, they hit you up in your DMs and say, Hey, so-and-so said, I should ask you about this card. I think that's just really neat whenever you kind of develop that, like, you know, this, this person is known for Peyton Manning or, you know, this person is known for Brady or known for breeze or like name your favorite player in that person collector. I think there's really no better feeling in that when somebody reaches out to you and ask if you're interested.
0: I love that. And maybe some commentary on the, I think the power in the hobby and the power in the kind of building your brand and sh- sharing your cards and sharing your passions is what you described as people, cards become available, whether it's on eBay or seeing in someone's stories and your network knows that you collect them, then they share that information with you and you might not have seen it. Um, and I think I, to be honest with you, like some of the best cards I've bought have been because of referrals from other people. So I think like, that's something to to call out, but I'll also say like, I get these a lot. And sometimes I feel like I don't take a, a good enough look or I'll see it while I'm at work and I'll forget about it. And then the card is gone. And I'm going to, I'm going to talk about this car, car on my end because it's a, it's, it's killing me right now that I didn't jump on it. But um, Gunther Gunther Cards made his t- 2014 uh, Matt Ryan Black Finite one of one available, and when he he came to me first, I had just bought a card off of him, and he came to me first, and he was trying to figure out pricing, and I said, you know what, like put it out there and let me think about it a little bit. So he started sharing in the stories, and once he shared in the stories, of course, everyone shared it back to me because you know I'm collecting Matt Ryan. Well. Too much time had passed when I finally realized, like, I need this card. And so I went back to him, and the card had already sold. And then the price that I was going to offer Gunther, the new owner was trying to flip it and had absolutely no interest in what I was willing to pay Gunther for the card. So now that one burns a little bit. And I think you live, you learn. So I think my feedback on that because I think it's an important topic is to if someone shares something with you because they know you love the card, like stop everything and take a really strong look at it. uh, Because the last thing you want to do, especially on a card that's like that rare is like regret not buying it. I don't know if you can relate to any of those scenarios, but that's something that's very prominent burning a hole in me at this point right now. Oh, no, I can relate to that. And so many examples. And I think that's another
1: area of growth in the hobby is, you know, it's it's tough sometimes. And I'll, you know, I'll speak about this with Joey, the e-trader sometimes. Is sometimes you, you're sitting there thinking and you're like, you know, I really want this card, but it's like, you know, but I know as soon as I buy it, it's going into the black hole known as Drake's PCs collection. And so, you know, that money is going to be tied up. And so I'll sit there and I'll be like, man, well, you know, they're They're wanting this, but gosh, if I could get it for $50 cheaper, then I would just, you know, then I would buy it. And so you're negotiating and this, and then for whatever reason, you know, as you mentioned with your example, then it's gone. And at the end of the day, you're like, you know, I probably would have paid that extra $50 just to get the card if I knew that something was going to happen. And so I think, you know, when certain times when things come up like and 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 there's friends that I that I've chatted with before and you know things like that and they'll be on a card and they'll miss it out for something similar. You know, I think if you really want a card, just go get it. Like don't be don't be cheap about it. Don't be thrifty, try to cut corners, things like that. You know, as long as the asking price is, is reasonable, right? Like don't don't overextend yourself just to go get it. But if it's a difference of $50, $100, a couple hundred dollars, something like that. If it's a card that you look at, like you said, a black one of one, you probably only get one shot of it at, at that price because the person who's buying it at that certain price, probably not looking to sell it, as you mentioned, for the price they paid for it. And so I think if, you, if you've got that conviction behind the card, and I think we talked about this on the previous podcast with the Roman Reigns Superfractor, right? You've got that. I, I, I jumped in. I had that conviction on it. I was like, I've got to get this card. Same thing with the Peyton Manning 24 karat gold. Like I said, I just didn't negotiate on it. I just said, let's go get it. You know, here's the price, what it
0: is. I've got to go do it. This is probably the only shot that I have at it. 100% and I think we'll tie a bow in this one. But for me, it was, and this happens to all of us because we buy cards. It was like coming off the heels of like, three pretty substantial purchases for me. And it's like, man, I I shouldn't, you know? But in all actuality, what I should have done is gone to my, my PC and been like, all right, well, what's going? Because I can promise you now, looking at my PC, there are cards that I wish I would have moved to cover the cost of that, Ryan. And it's just, you live and you learn and it's a reflection of that. But I, I think these are good topics that hopefully everyone listening to are like, yeah, I've gone through that so many times and I'm glad someone's sharing some perspective. You are not alone. You are
1: definitely not alone. And and, and I, you know, just my piece of advice is sometimes you may look at it and be like, let's just say it's a $2,000 card. You may say like, gosh, that's a lot of money. And $2,000 is a lot of money. I'm not, I'm not trying to like minimize that at all. But then you go look at your collection and you're like, okay, well, what cards could I get rid of to replace it that? Well, say you have like, Twenty a hundred dollar cards. Let's just say you sell those. There's your two thousand dollars that you need right now. And I bet those hundred dollar cards you could probably replace all of those very easily. So I think when you break start breaking it down like that and look at the equity you have in your collection and what you could sell to replace it with, like you, it makes that number seem a lot smaller. If that makes sense,
0: it does. Covering a lot of ground here. Let's close it out with this because I think this has been a conversation topic in the DMs that have been going on for, since it popped up and you asked the question, I think it's a really good topic um, to kind of end on. You asked um, Chris and Josh on the crossover a question about why, like there's all these sales that are happening of these, you know, active players, big sales happening and asking the question like, I believe the question was like, I guess maybe to make sure I get your question right, you share the question.
1: Yeah, so absolutely. So so the question I had and I and I wanted to make sure I wasn't saying like one is overvalued or one is undervalued, something like that, is I was just trying to understand when you compare these modern players like a Joe Burrow or a Justin Herbert, um, you know, or, and like those type players you see some of the sales of their cards and they're over six figures and maybe it's a national treasures rpa out of 99 or something like that and those are selling for a quarter of a million dollars, half a million dollars plus things like that. And you look at what they've done or you know what they have accomplished yet, which for those guys is not really a whole whole lot, okay? And so then you compare that to Peyton Manning, who as we know, you know, he's won the two Super Bowls. He's got all the MVP awards. He's got the accolades. He's a top three quarterback of all time. And he's never had a card of any kind, whether it's rookie card or non-rookie card, you know, whatever, sell for more than six figures. And so I'm just trying to wrap my head around, like, how is a guy who's one of the top three quarterbacks of all time, in my opinion, and I think most people would agree with that, never had a card sell for more than six figures, yet these guys that routinely have cards sell for more than six figures that haven't really done a whole lot like why is that the case? is it is it guys like Manning just have a ceiling on what they what their prices can be currently for their cards? or is it these newer kind of more prospect type guys have a a higher ceiling I guess with the hobby in general now and their floors is a little bit lower on some of those cards. And I'm just trying to understand like why why that's the case. So like if you're if you buy say you bought Peyton Manning's Essential Credentials Future in in the PWCC auction last year and that was a I forget the number $70,000 card let's just say, right? That's one of his best rookie cards. There's only seven made. It's an Essential Credentials Future which is a 90s Parallel, it's just phenomenal, right? And that's under $100,000. There's only seven copies that were ever made. I'm just trying to wrap my head around like, you buy that, and that card seems like it's got a lot of upside for the type of card it is, the number, the rarity, the scarcity, um, you know, the player that Peyton was. That seems like it has a lot of upside versus a guy, say, like, and nothing against Joe Burrow or Justin Herbert or something like that. You go pay a quarter of a million dollars for his National Treasures RPA. And I'm just like, where's the upside there? I'm just not understanding. Like, yeah, it's a cool card. Yeah, Peyton Manning doesn't have a National Treasures RPA now. But I'm just not understanding. Like, when you buy that card, like, what's the, what's like, what are you hoping to do with that? Because, in my opinion, you know, unless, let's just take Justin Herbert, unless he goes out and wins three or four Super Bowls and five most valuable player awards, stuff like that, there's no way for that card to go but down, right? And so I'm just trying to understand when folks are making those buying decisions, like what's the rationale behind it?
0: I've never really got a chance to say this and don't like to put down cards too often, but I will say this in this era of national treasures, RPAs with patches that are unworn to me, most overrated, overvalued price. And I understand the, the lineage of those cards and this and that, but I can't wrap my head around what people pay for those things just because of the brand name, even looking at what you're getting in the patch and all that, it just doesn't make any sense to me. But I think like I've had time to like reflect on this. And I think my last response in the group chatter regarding this, there's so many factors and just like modern era of cards and all of these products and parallels and this and that prism hype, uh, all of this stuff. But I think to me, it's almost like the, what happened when you're cards go for that value it's almost like there is this segment of the hobby where it's like what they've done on the field now and where what they'll do at the end of their career doesn't really matter because if people are buying those cards they're not really planning to hold them for the duration they're just trying to it's just like spend a lot of money and then when the hype train goes at the beginning of the season or after like a a deep run like a joe burrow had like I'm going to offload it and sell it and then I'll make my money and then I'll move on to the next one. So I, it's hard to me. It's I feel like there's a couple different games going on in the hobby where it's hard to make sense where it's like a Peyton. um, Yes. He's got a strong collector base. A lot of those cards are stashed in people's collections, but like your ability as someone who's looking to flip Manning and make money off of Manning, your ability goes down because like that like hype machine, those, packages on Instagram other people sharing i mean <laughs> Mac Jones has been in my and so I'm, I'm so sick of seeing Mac Jones a very fine player and he probably is going to have a really nice career in New England with Belichick but like we see i see his cards every day and it's like he's the second coming and so i think just this like hype train and we, the speculation and prospecting is so ingrained in the hobby that when you move upstream it's like it turns all of that up to like 11 and then all of a sudden like things start happening where we sit back especially as collectors of a guy like Manning and it's really hard to wrap our head around or make sense of it it's not a perfect take it's not a perfect opinion but like as i'm trying to wrap my head around it that's kind of what i've come up with at this point
1: yeah and there's probably probably two things that I, i'll I, that i can think of like just we'll just take the mac jones right so the So the kid pulls it, sells it for $100,000, and then it gets graded, right? So that adds a little bit of value to it. So then the person buys it there. Well, then now I think it's for sale again. And so I think, you know, at what point does a buyer look at that and say, like, why am I paying this amount of money for this? Like, it's just a game of hot potato. And it's always just like you mentioned, the hype is building over and over and over again. And so, at some point, it just gets to a point where you have to step back and say, like, "Whoa, let's pump the brakes a little bit. This doesn't, this doesn't make sense. Where I'm spending this amount of money for this type of player, right?" Um, and so, and so, I think it's not the initial buy; it's the folks who are buying after that initial buy. It's like, what are those folks thinking? And that's just kind of what goes through my head. And then the second thing I'll say is, if I'm say I'm wanting to buy some stocks, for example, if I want a blue chip stock. I go and buy, for example, like, we'll just say like an Apple stock, right? And I know what that's worth. Um, I think the other day it was trading like 190 bucks a share, right? That's a blue chip stock. It's not going to triple overnight. It's not going to quadruple overnight. It is what it is. It's steady. It's slow growth, kind of up and to the right. But at the same time, I'm not going to go buy, name your favorite tech startup company, say Apple closed at $190 a share. I'm not going to go pay $400 Four hundred dollars a share for a tech startup company, such as like what we're doing, seeing done with these rookies and prospects and things like that. If I want to invest in those, I want to go buy them for you know ten dollars a share and hope they get to one hundred and ninety dollars a share over time. And so I think just making from you know a comparison perspective, and I'm not I'm not comparing sports cards to stocks, right? Because um, I know that's been a controversial topic, but it's just one of those things I just look at as far as. When people prospect in the stock market, they're in those penny stocks and lower you know the lower value and stuff like that in hopes that it will do that. If they want to buy an apple stock, right, they go buy Tom Brady, they go buy Peyton Manning, they go buy Michael Jordan. They're not looking at somebody that's a prospect and paying you know two to three to four times the value of that apple stock to go and buy that person's card. So I'm just trying to wrap my head around like why that happens in the card market, but it doesn't happen in other markets.
0: So I just, for the first time, realized the Mac Jones one of ones has sold for more than the Peyton Manning essential credentials. And now I'm struggling a little bit, but I think like I don't know, like the way product is constructed now, um, and the way the hype goes in the hobby, all it takes is one sucker, once with a one of one, you get the card. And then you can spend all day marketing it and talking about how great Mac Jones is and feeding into the excitement of the NFL season. And all of a sudden, like people aren't buying these cards because they love Mac Jones or love the New England Patriots. They're buying this card so they can do the same thing that the person just did to them, you know. And so that's a very dangerous game, I think, especially when you're spending six figures on a card. And I know, and I'm not here to say we shouldn't do that or that shouldn't be a part of the hobby. Like people are allowed to do whatever they want. I think it's just awareness to know that this is going on. And in a lot of cases, there's only one way for this, those card values to go when it's that high on a current player who hasn't done anything. And that is down.
1: Oh, 100%. It's a a slippery slope and not a slope that I want to be on.
0: Not at all. Maybe we close out with this. I know you're going to the Dallas show in July. I know you're trying to meet people. So um, you can find Drake at that show. And maybe like, what is your goals of that show? Have you thought about it? Like, what are you looking to achieve?
1: Yeah. So really the main goal for me at the show is, you know, and, and and the main reason I go to any show in general is just to meet people and just talk to people and things like that. It's so fun, just whether you're talking with dealers, whether you're seeing your hobby friends, things like that. I mean, that's the main reason that I want to go to the show. You know, as, as we've discussed, I had made plans to go to the national, but just with with travel expenses and and you know, miscellaneous family stuff going on, things like that, it's not going to work out for me this year. And you know i'm not I'm not fretting about missing because I'm thinking, oh, there's gonna be just this awesome card there that I'm not gonna be able to find like someplace else, right i'm just I'm more upset about not seeing my hobby friends and get to hang out with those folks, you know, especially after the experience in Chicago last year. Mm. And so I think that for me was is more of the fomo that I'm getting you know, as you listen to other people talk about all these events and happenings that are gonna be going on. that's gonna be the fomo part for me, um you know, and so I guess I'm trying to put a little band aid on that FOMO by making the trip down to Dallas, which is a great show, you know, kind of in and of itself. So uh, yeah, just really hoping to meet some people, look at some cool cards and uh, you know, if anybody has uh, some to Manning cards or whatever, hopefully they'll bust them out down there.
0: <laughs> you can follow him at Drake's PC. Always good to have you on. Really enjoyed this conversation. Looking forward to the next time. Hey, thanks once again, Brett. I love bringing my friends on the podcast to talk about cards. I learned a ton in that one. I hopefully you did too. Always good to get insight from other collectors in the community on things that they're doing to level up. I love sports cards. It's such a fun escape. Do you love sports cards? I know you do, or you wouldn't be listening to Stacking Slabs. You take care of yourself. Take care of others around you. We will be back with more SSP coming at you next week. Take care.